Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, Resonate. And welcome to those of you who are watching online. We're glad that you've joined us at Magnolia's First this morning. Uh, Have you ever been asked to describe something in just one word and struggle to know what word you should use? I I think that's probably happened to all of us. Just one word, and we we don't know really which single word uh, might really capture whatever it is we're being asked to describe. But when it comes to the book of Philippians, if you were to ask me to describe it in one word, I know exactly what to say. Because as Paul writes to the Philippian church in the first century, he didn't write to lay a theological foundation as he did in the book of Romans, though there's rich theology in Philippians. He didn't write to deal with doctrinal error as he did in Galatians when he said, oh, you foolish Galatians who has led you astray. He didn't write to correct sinful behavior in the church as he did in 1 Corinthians. But when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he wrote to inform, affirm, and encourage them. None of those are my one word. If I had to choose one word, it would be joy. Philippians was Paul's letter of joy. And it is my prayer as we begin this last sermon series together as pastor and people that God would in these weeks radically increase your joy in Jesus. And I think it's something that's needed in the church today, in the lives and hearts of Christ followers today. You would think that we would all be just radiating joy, but that's not always the case. Uh, Some weeks ago, we had uh, the privilege of having the group Voices of Mobile here to do a concert. It was the second time they had been here. And if you're not familiar with that group, uh, they were a group of students from, the, from Mobile University, one of our Baptist universities, and they are extraordinary. The, the talent is just amazing. And they sing in churches all over the nation and even overseas. They'll be in Israel later this year. But uh, as they sing to group after group after group, Uh, They said to us, we are amazed at the joy uh, of the worship at Magnolia's First. And they said, it's not like that everywhere we go. Uh, Some places, we think we're singing to a bunch of statues. (laughs) Instead of God's chosen people, they're more like God's frozen people. (laughs) And he said, "But, but here there is joy in worship, and that was music to a pastor's ear. But maybe you need an infusion of joy. Maybe you are going through something or have been going through something that has stolen your joy. Or maybe you would say, well, it's fine for the Apostle Paul to talk about joy, but 
but he doesn't know what I'm going through. It was probably easier for him. Well, then you don't understand what Paul was going through when he wrote the letter of joy. If you're a student of the New Testament, you know that some of Paul's letters are called his prison epistles. Say, what's an epistle? It's not the wife of an apostle. It's a letter that was written by one of the apostles to the early church. And some of Paul's letters, some of the epistles were written from prison, and Philippians was one of those letters. Paul is incarcerated in Rome. He's under what has been termed house arrest. He's, he's not in a dungeon at this time, though he would later be, but he is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, three guards per day on eight-hour shifts. He, he never has the freedom to leave and to, to do the work that God. So the work came to him, and he began to win many of them to faith in Christ right there in the, uh, the house arrest in which he found himself. And he didn't know whether he would be released to do more work for the kingdom of God or he would be executed. And you'll hear that as we make our way through the letter. As it turned out, he was released, and he did go on to do more work for the kingdom of God after his release, but he would later be imprisoned again, this time not under house arrest, but in a dungeon, and he would ultimately be executed. But through it all, the apostle Paul had joy and God allowed him to suffer injustice and difficulty and pain so that he could teach the early church and this church that our joy in Jesus is not to be dependent upon our circumstances. It's not to be dependent on our circumstances. We in America talk about that all of us uh, as Americans deserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A and people spend their life pursuing happiness. But can I just say to you, happiness can be fleeting. It can be here today and gone tomorrow. There's a difference between happiness and joy. And what God desires for each of the followers of Jesus is to have joy. And you might say, well, well, what does that even mean? What is joy? Well, I looked for a definition, and I couldn't find one that I, I felt like truly captured what Paul is talking about here. So I wrote my own, and I want to share it with you. Here's what I believe joy is. Joy is a deep and abiding sense of delight and contentment in Jesus because you love him and because you trust in him. Delight and contentment in Jesus. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, no matter what the struggles, you have something that is deeper and more profoundly rooted in your heart that gives you joy. So let me ask you, those of you who are followers of Christ, do you have that kind of joy? Do you have that overcoming, 
constant sense of delight and contentment in Jesus. And, and, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's pie-in-the-sky theology. That's preacher talk. That's not real life. You don't know what I'm struggling with. And I'm trying to say that the Apostle Paul would say, and I am saying that it really is possible, even if you're questioning at this moment, is it really possible to have that kind of joy in this deteriorating, degrading culture in which we live in a world that is filled with so much craziness and turmoil and injustice and suffering and pain and death and all of those things that are a part of a fallen world? Is it really even possible? to have joy like that. And the Apostle Paul would say, and I am saying, the answer is yes. And the book of Philippians is going to teach us how. We'll spend 10 weeks together studying Philippians. Uh, Dr. Roger Yancey will be preaching two of those messages. And God willing, my plan is to be teaching the other eight. And I, I am going to savor every moment of our journey through this wonderful New Testament letter of Philippians. So with that as an introduction, uh, if you have your own Bible, you may open it to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, I'll be teaching, as always, from the New Living Translation. And if you don't have your Bible or you're not looking on version, where our scriptures and notes are every week, uh, all the verses will be on the screen. So Philippians 1, beginning with verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. Well, let me just stop there after that first verse, that opening of the letter. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, Paul begins the letter differently than we begin letters today. Uh, today, if you write a letter to someone, do you sign your name at the beginning? No, you sign it at the end. You say, dear so-and-so, you write the letter and then sincerely or whatever closing greeting, and then you put your name at the end. And sometimes if you don't recognize the handwriting, you might have to skip to the bottom of the letter to find out who it is that's talking to you and then start back at the top. But in the first century, when they wrote a letter, they started not only by identifying the recipients, but the authors of the letter. And so that's what Paul does. He says this letter is from Paul, and then he includes Timothy. Because as you'll see in a moment when we go to the book of Acts, Timothy was present when the church in Philippi began. And so that letter, though Timothy is not really the co-writer of the letter, his heart is with Paul's as Paul communicates. And he says, I'm writing to, the New Living translates it, the church leaders and deacons. In the original Greek, the, the term translated here, church leaders, uh, could mean pastors, it could mean elders, it could mean bishops, it could mean overseers, and, and the translators here just use a more general term, the leaders of the church in whatever context uh, that might be. And then it says to the deacons. 
The deacons are the servants of the church. They are not, as they are in some, are not supposed to be, as they are in some churches, the bosses of the church. They're not meant to be administrative. They're not to be ruling elders. Uh, they are the servants of the church and the spiritual leaders of the church that give counsel to those who are responsible for the point leadership. And so Paul writes to all of those who are guiding the church at Philippi. And so Paul and Timothy, and Timothy was like an intern or an associate of Paul when the church was formed. So what I want to do is just put a pause there in the letter after verse 1, and I want to take you to the account of the founding of the church in Philippi. I think it'll help you understand the relationship that Paul describes between himself and the Philippians as we return to the letter. If you're a student of the New Testament, you know that the book of Acts is the history of the early church, and the story of some of the church's foundings are found in the book of Acts. So go with me to Acts 16 and begin with verse 1 with me, and we'll see the story about how the church at Philippi came into being. Acts 16, verse 1. It says, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Now let me pause there quickly for a moment and explain that significance. There was a huge divide between Jews and Gentiles. The Greeks were Gentiles. Gentiles were anybody that was a non-Jew. And so they were going to reach both Jews and Gentiles with the gospel. And Paul knew that if Timothy, who had a father who was a Gentile and a mother who was a Jew, had not submitted to the Jewish ritual of circumcision, there would be a barrier to his effectiveness. And not because he thought it was necessary to please God, but because he didn't want anything to stand in the way of their proclaiming the gospel, he had Timothy go through that Jewish ritual. And so that began their journey. Verse 4, then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. That was the structure of the early church as a whole. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. So the movement that was called the way in the first century is gaining momentum. The gospel is going out. Churches are being planted. Now skip on down with me in Acts 16 to verse 11. Luke said, we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. Now look, verse 12, from there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. Now understand that Philippi was a strategic city in the first century. 
It, it, like Corinth, was a city of commerce, a city of culture, uh, a city that, that led the way in that part of the Roman Empire. Okay, back to verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Let me pause there. The river in a, in a community was a common place that people who sought after God would gather to worship and to, to pray. Uh, any of you grow up in the church and remember the old hymn, Shall We Gather at the River? Yeah, that, that's in part an allusion to that. So that's where Paul and Timothy and Luke and those who were seeking to bring the gospel there went to seek after people who were worshiping God and praying. I continue in verse 13. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Now let me just stop there for a moment to say, purple cloth was made from a dye that was very rare and very difficult to get, so purple cloth was only owned by people of financial means. And so in all likelihood, Lydia, who was a, a merchant who sold this expensive cloth, was well-to-do. She was wealthy, but even though she had a great deal of financial wealth, she was seeking the truth. She was seeking after God. A merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She accepted the gospel. She accepted that Jesus was the Messiah. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So the missionaries have a home base there in Philippi. They're ready to spread the gospel. But as they go out and they preach about Jesus being the only way of salvation, Jews that did not believe the message of Jesus became very hostile. They became very angry. And they had Paul and one of his associates named Silas beaten publicly and thrown into jail. So go down with me now to Acts 16, verse 25. They're in jail. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were whining about how they should never have been treated that way. Okay, I just wanted to see if you're reading the Scripture with me. They could have been if they, most of us would have been whining and complaining, would we not? What were Paul and Silas doing? They were praying. They were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Okay, this is not my notes, but i got to just stop and say this. When you are in the middle of the worst pain, if still your heart opens up in praise to God, people will listen. People will notice there's something different about you, that you're not griping, you're not complaining, you're not feeling sorry for yourself, but even in the midst of it, because of your trust in God, even when you can't see the answer, 
It will grab the attention of people who need Jesus. And that's exactly what was happening. The other prisoners were listening. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. Picture it. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. You know why he did that? Because if a guard at a Roman prison allowed prisoners to escape, he would be executed for that failure in his duty. And so he was just going to save them the trouble and take his own life. Verse 28, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, I love this, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. End of the story? No. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. Now, let me stop there a moment. To be a Roman citizen was a big deal. They had rights by the law that non-citizens didn't have. And so the fact that they had been treated that way, that they had been beaten by city officials, that they'd been thrown in jail without due process of law, and they were citizens, was a, a huge violation of their civil rights as Roman citizens. And so Paul continues, so now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. That's the story of how the Philippian church came into being. That's the story about how the Philippians and Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke witnessed a miracle of God. That's the story about how they bonded together in the midst of a mighty work of God.
And so let's return now to the letter that Paul is writing, being imprisoned in Rome, back to the church that he founded. Go with me to verse 2 of Philippians 1. Paul says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. What is he doing here? Is this just kind of a, a familiar, cordial greeting? No. He's speaking a blessing over them. He is speaking God's grace over them and the peace of God over them. This was more than just a, a greeting. It was a blessing of the two things they needed the most. And Paul would often do that over the churches. He would, he would speak a blessing over them to have God's grace and peace. Well, you know what? We still need grace and peace today, don't we? And so I want to do, I am not the Apostle Paul, I am just your pastor, but I want to speak a blessing over you, Magnolias first. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And may God dwell with you richly. And then as Paul continues the letter, he thinks back to the time that they spent together making Christ and the gospel known in Philippi. And as he remembers that time, it fills his heart with joy. Verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you, look, with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. I would ask you to forgive me if I draw parallels between the Apostle Paul's relationship and Cindy and my relationship with you, but I so identify with Paul. I would say to you, you have been our partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time we came together until now. And like the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians, you will always be in our heart. The Philippians were always in his heart, and as we continue in the days ahead to look back on our three decades in this church, we will look back with joy but not only look back with joy, we will look forward to expectation because just as Paul believed that the Philippian church would go on to do a greater work for God, and it did, we believe with all our hearts the best days of Magnolia's first are still ahead. They're still ahead. Paul is not saying here, I remember all those times together Put a period there, the work is done. No, not at all. He would say, it's just beginning. I'm not there present with you anymore, but the work that you are called to do is just beginning. And then in verse 6, he uses words that I will often use. If, if you get a birthday card from me, you'll see it signed, 
Philippians 1, 6, Ed and Cindy C. And, and this verse to me is such a rich, such a rich truth for every one of you who are Christ followers. Paul said, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul is saying, I am not the author of the work in your life. God is. And the same God who began the work in you is not finished, but he will finish that work until the day that you go home to be with the Lord or the day that Jesus returns, whichever comes first. And so Paul is saying, because I believe this and because of what we've done together, I want you to know how I feel about you. Verse 7, so it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Paul said, what we've been through together, what we've shared together, the support you've given me since I've been imprisoned, that has formed a love and a bond between us that time will never diminish and that future circumstances will never break. Verse 8, Paul says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Can you just hear the pastor's heart in Paul's words of how he loved the sheep of God's flock that God had given him over which to care in those days? And that even after Paul moved on, and even after we move on, that love and compassion, that bond continues. Well, we're going to stop there in Paul's letter. Dr. Yancey will pick it up with verse 9 next week. But uh, we, we ought to ask the question, what do we do with what we've heard? With these eight verses and the, the account of the, the birth of the church at Philippi, what, what do we do with these truths? Well, let me give you some things quickly to close the message. First and foremost, most important, if you have never put your faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord, do that today. If Paul was here, he would say to those who are not yet Christ's followers, Jesus loves you. He died for you. You need forgiveness for your sin, and he provided the payment for you to be forgiven and to have a relationship with him and the Heavenly Father and to spend eternity with him and all you must do is believe in him, put your faith and trust in him, give your heart to him. If you've not done that, do that today. We'll have a time of prayer and invitation at, at the end of this message. You can come and just say, I need to take the next step, and we'll tell you how to do that. Or come by the hospitality room after the service We'd love to talk. The most important thing is to know that you know 
that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you do know that, then let me encourage you, Christ follower, never forget that the God who started his good work in you and in this church is not finished with you yet. We are all a work in progress. We are all on a journey. We are all, the scripture says, being sanctified with all of our faults and failures and stumbling. We are still on a journey with Jesus. God is not finished with you yet. And then these final questions. Do you have the kind of grace and peace and joy that Paul describes in Philippians? If you don't, will you seek it as we study through this letter with us? Will you ask him to give you that joy that he wants to give? Will you learn to live filled with the joy of Jesus? Remember, joy is a deep and abiding sense of delight and contentment in Jesus because you love him and trust in him. I want that, don't you? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we believe that you have called every one of your children to live in joy, to have victory even in the darkest days, to live with a sense that God is still at work in their life and that though we are unworthy and though we fail you time and time again, you never abandon us or forsake us, but you desire to continue to mold us into the image of Jesus, our Lord. Encourage us, Lord, with the truth of Philippians and help those of us who know you by faith to live with joy. Father, I pray for anyone here in the room this morning or anyone watching online or anyone listening to this podcast that does not yet know Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray that like Lydia, there by the river that day, God would open their hearts and they would receive the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ by faith. Lord, only you can do that work to the open hearts that invite you in. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.